This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Of course, at the wildcard game with the Toronto Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles, fan threw a beer can into the stands just as the Baltimore outfielder was making a catch. Luckily, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Luckily, it didn't hit the player. Uh, but of course, in this world that we now live in, it would be impossible to think there isn't footage somewhere of this person uh, doing this. They have identified somebody. I don't feel comfortable mentioning his name uh, simply because we don't have any evidence that he threw it yet. And until he does, what if it, what if it wasn't him? And I'm not saying it's not, but what if it, what if it isn't? And, you know, then you got your mug on the paper, in the paper and all over social media and newscasts and such. What do you do then? Anyway, to talk more about the fun, Scott Radley is with us, host of the Scott Radley Show here on CHML every weeknight and, of course, columnist, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, how are you? I am well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Are you surprised that the traction that this story has got and that, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's ready to lynch this person? No. In fact, all that's missing right now is Kevin Costner in a courtroom. Are you saying back yeah. to the left? Back to the left. I mean, it's, it is. There has been more attention paid to the videos here, and more breakdown than there was to the Zapruder film. I mean, there really. It's it, and and I'm with you though. Let me say this right off the top. I'm with you. I found out about this. This story broke about. I was literally coming out of my last commercial break on the show last night, and Luke, who was behind the glass doing my producing, says to me, "They've identified. They they put out the the identification of the guy who's in the picture, and it's a Hamilton guy." And so I had about 30 seconds to scan the story, but I felt the same way. I didn't say his name because here's the thing. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that there is some kind of in-house Roger Center security video system or something that has a high-definition version of this (laughs) that would allow the police to feel confident enough that they could say, we've got something beyond these grainy Zapruder-type images. Because if not, and I I mean, I've watched the video a a bunch of times, a bunch of the different ones, and you look at it and you go, you know, there's some that look like it might be him. There's some that you have some questions. But if it's not him, you have rather, not rather, you have carelessly smeared a guy, yeah. ruined his reputation. Uh, I don't want to say ruined his life, but you, you don't know. Go back. On the other hand, look at the guy that uh, you know created all the ruckus at the Toronto FC game by uh, throwing slurs yeah, at different. the reporter. But look at that. that. Yeah, but wait a sec. That guy uh, was caught red-handed. He lost his job. He worked for Ontario Hydro, or Hydro One it was maybe, obviously. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, a sunshine-less job. And not only did he end up getting his job back, he, he, he got restitution. Yeah, but that was different because there was absolutely no question who that guy was. Yeah, he was talking to the video camera, yeah. looking at it. and I think his name was probably on the scroll on the scroll on the bottom <laughs> of the screen. I mean, it wasn't like he was high. This is a this is a case of identification. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and what I thought about immediately, and I don't know if you or your listeners have seen it. I was talked about these before, but ESPN a number of years ago started this series of documentaries called 30 for 30 and they were a bunch of sports yeah. documentaries that were excellent yeah, they're and great. one of them one of them was called Catching Hell and it was about Steve Bartman remember Steve Bartman the Chicago Cubs fan with the turtleneck and the headphones who caught the foul ball that kind of interfered yeah, yeah. with Moisha Salou and the fans then blamed him for costing the Cubs a spot in the World Series and the Marlins went on to win and it was, I mean the Cubs haven't won in 108 years and Mo- and Steve Bartman became 
public enemy number one in Chicago to the point that's almost 20 years ago, and he still is underground. He still is. Yeah, but I guess my point was my point was to you, Scott, by bringing up the guy from the Toronto FC game, is that this guy was caught red-handed. He's doing just fine, thank you. He's got his six-figure job back and some money on top of that. So what the hell does he care if his face was plastered all over a TV screen? I understand. Um, I I don't know. I mean, with his friends, did it affect his reputation? I don't know. I would argue that it is a different scenario entirely. Uh, People may think this is a self-serving comment. I don't think so. I would argue that it's entirely different for a journalist who is supposed to be able to work in a in a position where your name may be public, your work oh, may be public. You know, I have no, I agree with you there 100%, but I, I guess my point that I was trying to make there is that, you know, once this time passes, it doesn't, it didn't seem to hurt the FC guy. How is it going to hurt this guy? We'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out. I mean, and we'll find out entirely by the, what we talked about right off the top. If there is footage that comes from in-house, it's not a, a phone camera kind of thing, yeah. but actual clear footage that shows him throwing the beer, then too bad, so sad, you made a stupid decision, and you know what, we can be forgiving, but behavior has consequences. Mm -hmm. But if if we are going entirely by a grainy, hard-to-make-out image, and that's it, then man, oh man. And I mean, I I joked about it last night before I knew any of this, because I thought that it it was kind of funny in a almost cruel kind of way. The Toronto Police, the picture they picked out, and if you look on the front page of Toronto Sun today, if you look everywhere, the picture they picked out for the still image of this oh, guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a cartoon movie supervillain sent back from the future to kill us all. Well, he I looks mean, he like he looks like a kid that dude. he he lo- and all like if you look at the si- like the shot that's on the front of the spec today where it's same thing where everyone's looking at him and he's just looking down, it looks like he he's a kid that just got caught with his hand in a cookie jar. Yeah, it's it, this is um, this is a tough one because I all I can hope is pu- let's put yourself in that situation for a second. I was at Game Five last year with my son, the Batista home run game. Mm-hmm. But if you remember, earlier in that inning when Russell Martin hit the bat, there was beer flying everywhere. There were cans. It was raining beer cans that day. And I'm putting myself in this guy's position, saying, "Okay, what if one of those beer cans had flown down and clunked the player on the head, and it came from my section?" Yeah. And what if then the police were looking around and they thought that it came for me? And let's say for a second my picture ended up yeah. in the paper and I hadn't done it. You know, if you put yourself in the guy's shoes, if he's innocent, if he's innocent, if you put yourself in his shoes, this would be a let's not let's not couch. I mean, I, I would say that probably this would be a terrifying position to find yourself in to be the subject of everybody's social media wrath sure. of all the of everybody looking at you and saying you're a jerk you're an idiot you well th- this would not be a good place to be and so for only for the sake of the police and quite honestly i mean for the sake of this whole story you almost now are saying it better be him yeah it better be him because if it's not him this thing is a mess the police have screwed up he's got problems now to deal with he, his reputation is ruined it better be him, or there's problems coming. Uh, do you think that perhaps uh, the police have more evidence than what they're letting on at this point? Yeah, I hope so. All right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm not rooting for the guy to be the guilty party, but what I'm saying is if you're going to put it out and not say, and, you know, I heard um, on Bill's show right before you, Joe Warmington was talking yep. about this, and he yep. said, 
you know, maybe you should have put this out as a person of interest that we need to talk to rather than a suspect. But when you put him out there, essentially as the suspect, mm-hmm. you better have something. And right? he alluded to that this was the media picture, not the evidence picture. Right, but you better have something. Yeah that says that we can be reasonably sure of a conviction. We have enough evidence. So, and you know what's going to happen? It's, very, it's actually very simple, I would think. I would think it's very simple. What's going to happen, I would assume, is that he is going to go down to 52 Division. He's going to turn himself in. They will fring, fingerprint him and maybe take a saliva swab or something. And all you've got to do is check the beer can. Are his fingerprints on the beer can? Mm. If his fingerprints are on the beer can, pretty hard to explain that. He's probably done. If his fingerprints are not on a beer can... And Maybe it was his beer, beer can and a fan next to him grabbed it and threw it out. Okay. I don't know. If we don't, ha- if we don't have the video evidence, Scott, I, I think this guy gets I'm, off. But, but I, I have a hard time believing it, there is not video evidence. There must be. What I'm saying, Scott, is yeah. if his fingerprints don't yeah. exist anywhere on a beer can, which is yeah. about the best surface you could possibly have to hold a fingerprint, mm-hmm. if his fingerprints aren't anywhere on there pretty hard to say that it was him who threw it, honestly. Yeah, no, like, good he, point. He's in good shape that way. The funny part of the other thing about this, we were laughing about this at the office today. You know, we've gotten so used to watching shows like CSI on TV. At CSI, they would have a computer where they would simply press yep. a button and it would go, <laughs> and it would be crystal clear, like laser sharp, yeah. and you could make out the size of his hat. Yeah. And here, it's like, okay, here's the real world. We don't have that kind of stuff, so yeah. we're, we're stuck in the middle. So do you think we're back to, back to plastic cups at the Rogers Center? Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely we yeah. are. And, and and honestly, shouldn't it have been that way in the first place? Yeah. I mean, you wonder why they went back, yeah. There's 50,000 people. Yeah. It takes one or two morons mm-hmm. to dro- drop a beer can or throw a beer can that could actually clunk someone on the field on the head. It, it, to me, it doesn't make it, it never made a lot of sense that we're serving people cans that could yeah. be projectile. Like, uh, why not just give them glass bottles, too? Alright, I know you got to get out of here, but really quickly, you want to predict something on this next series with the Jays in Texas, which of course gets underway this afternoon? Uh, you know what? <laughs> my, my initial thought as soon as you said that was the uh, the opening scenes of the fight between Rocky and Ivan yeah, Drago. Originally. And Rocky before when he says, <laughs> what's your prediction? He says, pain. Yeah. It's, uh, but you know what? It's, uh, it will, I don't think we're going to have the fight. I don't think we're going to have the bean balls. I think it's too important. They can't afford to have guys suspended or tossed out and all that kind of stuff. But I think this will be as intense a series. And, you know, maybe if one of the teams is blowing the other team away and they're going down in the flames, you see some of that stuff. But I just think it's going to be a lot of buildup, and it's going to be really intense baseball. But that, that stuff is very, very unlikely to happen in this series. You can't, you can't lose a series in order to get even with a guy by putting a baseball in someone's ribs. Beer cans, fights, who knows what's going to happen. Cats living with dogs, it's all a big mess. <laughs> Trump and Hillary, look out. Uh, <laughs> Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show tonight right here on CHML and, of course, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. Anything you want to plug for the show tonight? You know what, people should, it's Thursday night, so people should have uh, to be tuning in with their fingers ready to dial because we do TV theme song, name that tune, for a gift certificate for Hutchins on the Beach. We have been getting so many calls with people wanting to get in on this. So many people say, oh, I'm yelling at my radio as I'm driving along with what the answer is. Uh, 8.30 tonight, we'll be doing that, so get ready to dial All in. All right, Brady Bunch for 100, Alex. Perfect. Thank- That'll probably be coming up. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Blue Jays, ID the jerk fan. It looks like that's going to happen. Uh, we don't know for sure if this is the person that threw the uh, can of beer or not because we have not seen any video evidence 
that is that conclusive. However, uh, it does sound like someone is on their way down to uh, at least chat with police, and we will hopefully know more a little later on this afternoon. All right, when you got a situation like this, who do you bring in? But Alyssa Freeman, Principal, Alyssa PR Communications, columnist, Huffington Post, Canada.com, PR Daily, and with us now. Hello, Alyssa. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Scott. I'm so glad you called me on for this uh, little <laughs> issue we have here. So, what are your thoughts? Uh, first, from a personal standpoint, I don't I don't feel comfortable saying this guy's name until we actually see the footage of him throwing it, but I'm presuming that Toronto police would have that, otherwise they wouldn't have put the picture that they have put up uh, to the media. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, let's dial back just a little bit, as I always like to do, and let's talk about what the reputation of this city usually is. For many, many years, those of us who are of a certain age remember that we used to be called Toronto the Good. So Toronto has always had this very genteel, uh, lovely reputation as a clean city with friendly people. So, you know, when somebody says that, you know, we're a little bit wild or we're getting out of hand, it's almost seen as something out of the blue. You know, you've heard of dog bites man and man Mm. bites dog. Mm -hmm. This is like a man bites dog situation because it's so out of character for people who live in the city or who are classified as Canadian, who we call Canadians. Although, Alyssa, it seems it is becoming more and more the common practice of late. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. No, but I and and I agree, and I think that you know wanting to preserve this reputation and wanting to be world class is a hard thing to do. As cities get bigger, they tend to take on more problems, and especially within you know baseball games. And apparently, since uh, for a couple like about a year or eighteen months now, there have been people who frequent the Blue Jays games quite often and say that you know it's getting a little bit out of hand with all the people who are getting inebriated by the end of the game. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is I have never seen so much scrutiny over trying to find the perpetrator than I have with this recent incident at the um, at the last wild card. You know game. what? You bring up a very valid point. And Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun said this on the Bill Kelly show uh, just about an hour ago. He mm-hmm. said, you know, if you're trying to find a witness in a murder, you can't find anybody. Yet if you're trying to find this person, it's like everybody's got a picture. Well, here's the thing. I went on somebody's website and there was a link and somebody actually had what they called Zaprooter-like footage. And the last time you heard the word Zaprooter was when they were trying to find who killed JFK. Hmm. Okay? And that was often used. And what it is, it's very grainy, grainy footage and you're trying to make out what this is. So, of course, me being miscurious, I go click on the Zaprooter footage uh, link and I'm sitting there with my nose two centimeters away from my screen (laughs) trying to see what they see. And honestly, you can't see a thing. You see blocks of people and somebody thought it was a a blonde lady and then they would show the Zaprooter and then they would would, um, juxtapose that with the actual people who are in there. So, you know, the scrutiny of trying to find this guy is unbelievable. And now you've got, you know, know, citizen journalists trying to do the job and, and aid and abet the police. What's interesting is, you know, your take, and you're saying to me, well, I don't feel comfortable saying this guy's name, where everybody else is pretty comfortable saying it Mm. on the news. But I understand your point. And what they said was, is that, well, how do you know it's this guy? And the explanation given was, well, the cameras inside, you know, the stadium are, you know, unparalleled. It, it, mm. are none. it absolutely is this guy. And I almost think there's an overzealous 
toughness in trying to get to the bottom of this and get somebody and hope that this guy is the, is the person who fits the crime. Now, why do you think people are acting that way? Because it made us look bad or because they're genuinely upset by, by the actions? I think both. I think that, it, A, it made us look bad. And um, also, to add insult to injury, um, someone, whether it was this guy or not, I heard it was a woman. I mean, we all heard it was different people, but mm-hmm. um, who was um, hurling racial epithets at one of the players, at, at, at both of the outfielders, actually. So I think that people are embarrassed. They don't like us seeing us in this light on this world stage. It was almost like, you know, um, may rest in peace when Rob Ford was casting all sorts of aspersions on our city. After a while, it became kind of embarrassing. So we we don't like to uh, put ourselves in a a negative light. You know, when I read Cahal Kelly's um, article in the Globe and Mail, uh, actually was up last night, and, you know, there's some sort of a bit of a swagger when they say, okay, Toronto is the worst. Well, how can that be? We're so nice. But really... It's um, not much to be proud of, and I think that that is what people are reacting to. Uh, How does post-media react to it? This is really interesting, and I'm glad you brought that point up. So after this incident happened, uh, the Blue Jays, as an organization, put out a letter of apology. Excellent. Boom. Didn't wait for it. That letter was out. It was on social media. It was um, on their website. You could click on it and find it. So, and they were very upfront about it. That was the best thing to do. And the second thing to do is that after you apologize, is that you have to be seen as or are actually um, engaging in an investigation where you're going to get to the bottom of the problem. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I think that they have been so, um, you know, on the ball with this pardon the pun, is that there are so many people who are weighing in with their own pictures, with opinions. Um, There is almost this very inordinate avalanche of media about a guy who threw a can of beer um, on the field. And I think that had this happened in the regular season, which apparently it has, you don't hear about it. But when you have it on a a game that is being broadcast Mm. across North America and if you remember, it's the, it's, uh, I think it was ESPN that was actually, it was the Americans who were broadcasting yep. the game. It's a much wider audience. So it's just not in our own backyard, folks. It's everybody who is interested in baseball playoffs, which is a lot of people, saw what happened. Uh, does this change the perception or people's perception of Toronto or Canada? Is it changing? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, and and people tend to uh, sort of glom on to one opinion, and they tend to stick with it. And I think that if you were t- to talk to the average baseball fan, they'd probably say, oh yeah, we hear your fans are really bad. And they tend to make a generalization, and that's what we don't want them to do. So that's why this investigation is going hard and fast in order to find the perpetrator. But you brought up another interesting point where, because they found out, they found out who this guy was and that he works uh, allegedly for Post Media. And he lives in Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> allegedly. So, you know, here's the thing. As we remember, I think it was with... Um, wait a sec, does this make, ha- wait a sec, does this make Hamilton look bad? No, no, no. Well, Is that I what you're not. saying, Alyssa? I hope not. Well, you think about it. If it's well, making you know, Toronto look bad, it, 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 you know what the people in Toronto right now are going, well, pfft, the guy's from Hamilton. What do you expect? <laughs> of course. I thought it was 
kind of interesting that they said he's from Sudbury. He works for Post Media, but he lives in Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, yeah, well, yeah. I caught know that. All this, but I guess you know when you're trying to find anything and report on anything, you'll take any detail that you can. Sure. So, uh, as you remember, um, do you remember it was City TV reporter, uh, I believe, Shauna Hunt? Yep. And she was reporting, and then there was, um, there's been this thing when female reporters are on air or doing live hits, there are unruly men um, in the background yelling obscenities. Yep. Well, they found out who the guy was. I, th- I believe he worked for Hydro. Yeah, he worked for Hydro One. I was going to bring this up to you. And you know what? He ended up getting his job back. So, yeah. you know, I-, I know there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of fuss made about this at the beginning, and he he was in trouble and whatever. But then, because of the union gig, he ended up getting his job back, and um, and I think he actually got compensation for it. So he's laughing. Well, here here's the thing. I think that he did suffer from embarrassment, and I think that when you do something like that, there'll be a number of your pals going, "Oh, that was pretty funny, buddy." And there are other people like that will always taint him. Yeah, always. He'll go for another job, and they'll go, oh, yeah, weren't you the guy who, you yeah. know, was very rude to women, and, he, you know, you have no morals. So, uh, you know, so you, so you think it, So you think it's still affecting that guy from the Toronto FC game? Of course so. Yeah. Of course it will. Okay. I mean, he'll probably never leave Hydro One because it's a, maybe a safer place for him to work than for him to have to go out into the workforce and um, have yeah. this sort of on his quote-unquote uh, personal resume. And I think the reason that he got his job back was that, you know, he did not um, purposely put Hydro One in a bad spotlight. He no. was not representing the organization uh, that he worked for um, during that incident. And I Either think is this, this guy, is, right? Pardon? Either is this gentleman, right? Right. I mean, he, he wasn't working at the time. He's not really, you know, he just happens to work for them. Right. So was he representing Post Media? Was he wearing a Post Media T-shirt? Was you know? He no, he's got a blue. He's got Post a Blue Jay Media? shirt on. He's got a Blue Jay shirt on. Well, there you go. So uh, you know, he wasn't representing the company. But you know, people sort of get on their high horse with this, and this is when you start taking things to the extreme. I mean, this guy is going to be dragged through the mud. Dragged through the mud. Yeah. Wait till they bring him in. They're all going to send their photographers down there. Click, yeah. click, 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 click. And this, you know, poor guy, not poor guy, but this guy, his face is going to be splashed all over the media. Yeah. So should this affect his job? I think that, you know, a post media can say we don't like our um, employees to do this. And, and believe me, they are consulting with their lawyers right now to see how far they can go and see what happened with Hydro. And I don't know whether this fellow is unionized or not. But I think that you have to be very careful um, when you say, okay, well, you know, you're going to lose your job because we don't like what you did. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a valid case for saying, yeah, I may have been wrong what I did. I may have been inebriated in what I did, but um, I wasn't representing your company. So I think that there is a valid case there. And I think that we have to create some parameters around the punishment. So if it is indeed this guy. So, and let's, okay, say it is this guy. How do you recover? What do you do? If, you, if you're if you giving someone like this person, if it was me, what would you be saying to me? Well, I'm guessing thought. we wouldn't be having the conversation on the air. Well, I think it depends. <laughs> no, you won't be having the conversation with the air. But I, I think that there's a, they, they're going to have to charge him with something. Mm-hmm. And he'll probably get a lifetime ban yeah. uh, from attending any Blue Jay games or attending anything in the stadium. Period. So if you're this guy or the guy from the Toronto FC game or what have you, how, how do you recover? What do you say to an employer when this gets brought up? How, how do you handle it the you best you can? All, you have to say you're sorry and you have to show contrition. Yeah. 
And I think that, you know, this guy will probably have to end up, I don't know who will be counseling him, probably legal at this point. The reason they haven't brought him in is that he's probably going to find a lawyer now because yeah. this has gone, uh, according to him, way beyond what he thought it should. Yeah. And uh, who knows, maybe he's done this before um, with no uh, ramifications, but, you know, with the eyes of the baseball world and TV all on him, this now takes this up another level. So he's going to have to apologize. He's going to have to show contrition. He um, should probably be enrolled in some sort of uh, course uh, regarding tolerance and regarding uh, over-drinking. Hmm. So he's, he will have to do more than the average citizen, to be quite honest who has uh, done this before, because what they need to do is set an example that this behavior is not tolerated and we're not going to let it happen again. So see what happened to this guy? Same thing is going to happen to you. Uh, you bring up a valid point. What is the responsibility of the Blue Jays and the Rogers Center here? I'm guessing we're back to plastic cups for one thing, but, but how do they have to handle it? Well, uh, great point, Scott. Glad you brought this up. So the Blue Jays have said sorry. They're um, having all their operations help identify the guy, which they've done. They've probably you know, gone through all the camera footage. And now they have to put some sort of policy in place that prevents this from happening again because they are not unscathed. They've been doing all the good citizenship things that they should have done to this point. But now they've got to go back and say, okay, what are we going to do to prevent this from happening? Do we go back to plastic cups? Do we cut off beer in an earlier inning? You know, what are they going to do for themselves to show that we're not going to let this happen again? Because you know what? Now people are finding out that it happens. People are now coming out and complaining that it's uncomfortable to sit in a, a Blue Jay crowd when people have had too much to drink and they are acting rude and ruining, ruining the experience for the average fan. And if this happens again, it's like shame on you once, but not shame on you twice. Hmm. Uh, should they just put a giant net around the crowd? Or maybe rather than rather than trying to keep this, they have giant nets that drop from the roof onto the person. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Instead of having a, a netting up to stop the foul balls from going out, it's a netting to stop the beer cans from going into the field. That is probably their last point of resistance. Yeah, I would think that. First of all, I think it's you know it's an interesting point that you make. Number one. Um, but number two, I think that what they'll have to show is some immediate policies they can put into place now, because putting up netting is not going to happen overnight. No. But what they can do overnight, um, by the time um, the team comes back to play, is that before that game happens in Toronto, there has there will be a new policy in place. Yeah. And if there isn't... I'll be shocked, but you, they're not stupid. Do you find it fascinating that there isn't security footage of every single person in that stadium for, from some direction, from some way? Shouldn't every single seat have some sort of surveillance on it? Wouldn't you? And I'm guessing that these shots that we're seeing are of surveillance cameras. Uh, so if they've got the one of everybody looking at the guy and the guy looking down, then they've certainly got the one of the guy pitching it or somebody pitching it. Mm-hmm. Um, would you just not expect that a, a facility of that size, everybody would be on camera in some way? I think that there's probably more security going on there than we actually know about. Yeah. And they're showing you what they have, but I think that if they have some really intense security going on with cameras everywhere, I don't think that that is something that they would 
come out with because then maybe people would, uh, you know, yeah. according to them, feel uncomfortable. You know, I'm being watched while I'm watching a game. You know, is this Big Brother right. or is this the Blue Jays? Right. So I'm sure that there are lots of security. And they did intimate in the last news report that I, that I heard was that the security footage um, at the stadium is second to none. Mm-hmm. So that sort of gave me a hint thinking, well, they probably have a lot of cameras somewhere. That's my guess. I mean, I'm looking at this shot that the police have issued, and I'm thinking if they've got that, they must have others. Would you not assume oh, so? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and you know what, Scott, with any investigation, you're not going to know all the details. Because now you have to proceed very carefully because, you know, you don't want to get into a... Um, a case of libel. You don't want to get into, you know, pinpoint, you know, it's still innocent until proven guilty in this country. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the police themselves have to be very, very careful on how they, they have to show that there's progress and they have to show that they're on, that they're on this. But by the same token, they have to be very careful not to overstep uh, their boundary. Well, and you bring up a valid point. So they've got a choice of, say, they do have all of the footage. They've mm-hmm. got a choice of sending this shot out as opposed to one of him with it actually in his hand and hurling it, where obviously at that point, certainly in the court of public opinion, he would be convicted already. Well, uh, you know, in, in many cases, this guy is um, you know, already been convicted in the, uh, in, in the court of public opinion. And now the narrative is, well, we're waiting for him to turn himself in, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it, it, it honestly, it, it sounds like this is the, the speed of this investigation has been uh, like watching a Law & Order episode. Yeah, really? You know, it, it's all happening. <laughs> By the end of the hour, we've got it all sealed up. <laughs> you know, so this will be, you know, this, by the 6 o'clock news, this is a that you're they're going you're going to know who the guy is you're going to see probably more footage you're going to or any footage that people are allowed to see i mean the blue jays and the police will only re- release the footage that they want you to release nobody i mean you know you're yeah. going to get these people that with their own zap router you know sitting in at home but there will be the the message control and the visual control that will come out of this is as at its highest level Alyssa Freeman is with us, principal at Alyssa PR Communications. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. And thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Lots of people have chatted over the years about how the price of parking at hospitals is just continuing to, cre- to increase and, of course, uh, taking advantage of people who are in uh, scenarios where they have to go in for testing, they have to go in because they're ill, or if you have an ill relative there, then, of course, you have to go and visit. And these, these prices can be just astronomical. In the case of Joseph Brand, it is quadrupled, while St. Joseph's uh, has doubled to roughly $250. Are we paying too much for hospital parking? To talk about all of this, Monique Taylor is with us, Hamilton Mountain MPP with the NDP and with us now. Hello, Monique. How are you today? I'm well, Scott. Thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for taking the time. We really do appreciate this. Pleasure. Monique, this has been a situation where we've been talking about for, for a long time. Are, are we getting any closer to a solution here or are we, are we just robbing Peter to pay Paul? Well, uh, Scott, I think we were hoping that we were getting closer to a solution, but I don't see the plan uh, that's been uh, put out uh, by the Liberal government as anything that is actually helping um, the people of this province. Uh, we see very clearly uh, that the, the costs are, are still expensive. Um, 
yes, they've spread it out and made it convenient for some people who may need uh, to have the the 30 days flexible throughout the year, uh, but the, the cost is still only parking for 30 days, and uh, we've heard the numbers, uh, you know, $250 up to $300 uh, for those same 30 days. Uh, what can hospitals do? I mean, they're obviously doing this to generate revenue, which has probably been cut off by government. So how do you... Who's to blame here? Well, and, and you've said it exactly right. Um, it's the government that's to blame. The, the hospitals should not be looking for revenue generation uh, through parking uh, that limits people's access to health care. And uh, we need to ensure that, that that is the priority and that uh, if you're a patient or if you're a loved one uh, needing to spend time with the patient, that, that, is, that the hospitals are accessible to you. Premier Wynn had talked about this in the past. Have we not moved forward on this? Well, um, like I said, uh, actually, I had tabled uh, petitions. I created the petition. I tabled the petition uh, back to December 2014, um, put them out several times. Um, I believe I read them like five times in the House, uh, asking for the government to put a cap on these fees to stop the... um, the hospitals from having to use this as a revenue generation. Uh, the government responded by saying, yes, this is something uh, that we're planning on doing. They promised it in the 2014 uh, election to cap parking fees. Uh, but the plan that we see forward uh, today uh, is really uh, not the step uh, that Ontarians were looking for. I'm guessing if the government uh, caps rates on parking, that that may make the public happy. But then, of course, that's going to make the hospitals very unhappy. Right, but that puts it back to the government, that it's the government's responsibility to fund the hospitals and not um, force the hospitals to constantly be creative on how to generate uh, more revenue. It's unfortunate this wasn't done earlier because now these these prices have gotten so high and the revenue is so steep that how do you walk away from this now? How do you how do you change things? How do you turn this around? Well, uh, like I said, it, it goes back to the government uh, by making sure that they're funding our hospital system. That's our health care. They are responsible for our health care, and they need to ensure that they put the uh, sufficient dollars uh, into the system to make sure that it works for patients. Do you think we're still going to be talking about this next year, Monique? Well, I hope not. Uh, we've, we've seen the government turn around on other things that we've been pushing them on. Hopefully we'll be able to make enough noise um, on these parking fees uh, to show the Premier that uh, this is a step in the wrong direction, that this is not in the best interest of patients. Election still a ways away, but could this very much become an issue? Well, um, it's, it's been an issue uh, for quite some time, right? And it was an issue in the 2014 uh, election. The Liberals had promised then that they would cap uh, the parking fees. So uh, I would have to say that this is another election promise broken. Monique Taylor has been with us, Hamilton Mountain MPP for the NDP, talking about the price of hospital parking and how it just continues to rise. Monique, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. To all the women who have been impacted by the force's failure to have protected your experience at work, and on behalf of every leader, supervisor, or manager, every commissioner, I stand humbly before you today and solemnly offer our sincere apology. 
That is the official apology from the RCMP, apologizing to hundreds of current and former female officers and employees for alleged incidents of bullying, discrimination, sexual harassment, also announcing a settlement of two class action lawsuits, which date back to uh, the mid-1970s. So this certainly is not a new program, a new uh, problem, that's for sure. Uh, we're going to play you a response from an officer uh, a female officer a, a response, her response rather, from this for this apology. This is a great day for myself, for women in the RCMP, women in Canada. It's a good day for the RCMP. It's a it's a turning point. I have total faith that this is this is the beginning of a new era, hopefully a better era. RCMP officer Janet Merlot, who uh, was of course involved in these. Uh, in these allegations as well. To talk more about all of this, Liar Samfiru is with us, employment lawyer at Samfiru and Tamarkin LLP, and is with us now. Hello, Lior. How are you today? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time. What's your thought on this case, and what do these people now who have been involved in these cases, what's the process for them now, as now that the RCMP have admitted this and apologized? Uh, so yes, yeah, obviously that's a, a very, very important day, and, and a very uh, uh, much of a relief for these individuals. These ladies have been involved in this uh, situation. It tells us very clearly that these allegations obviously were, were true, and that these things were going on uh, at the RCMP. You know, an organization that we would always like to think would, would set an example of how things should be. Uh, when, in fact, things were going on that, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, obviously, I don't think that the RCMP, the government, would have settled this uh, unless there was legitimacy, uh, unless they knew that what uh, what happened there or, or what the allegations were, in fact, correct, that these ladies did have to endure the harassment, the sexual discrimination, and in some cases even worse than that, that they've alleged. All that being said, Let's not make any mistake about it. Uh, uh, some of the settlement, the motivation behind the settlement, I think, is political. What I mean by that is, if the RCMP was so inclined, they absolutely could have uh, made this go on a long time and potentially even been successful in defeating some of these uh, claims for various technical reasons, including uh, limitation periods and whether or not the damages can be proven. These are very, very difficult cases for an employee, a plaintiff, to prove. And I think that uh, the RCMP ultimately made the decision that it's not in their interest to try to fight it. They would be uh, making it worse for themselves. They would be creating an even worse impression in the general public. And it's better to apologize for what they know happened and, and, and settle these things. And obviously, I, I commend them for doing that. With respect to the, the ladies involved, of course, now it's not as simple as now them getting a check. There's a process. The settlement has to be uh, approved at various levels. And then there's going to be discussion as to how much different uh, in, in individuals are going to get. Usually with class actions, individuals are going to be put in one of several categories. And, you know, the decisions made anyone in Category 1 gets this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Anyone in Category 2 gets that amount of money. So that's a process that's still going to take a while. I, I can tell you, though, that no one's actually going to get rich uh, off of this. Right. But I think the, the, it's more of a, of a symbolic uh, gesture here that, that there's an acknowledgement of a wrongdoing. How do you think life within the RCMP will change moving forward after this day? Well, I think, that, uh, I think that's the key here. I think this is where the big change is going to be. I think, number one, uh, you know, women and, and people in general working there are going to feel empowered now to bring up these issues knowing that they're going to be taken seriously if, if they're faced with that. So 
<laughs> well, in the past, uh, a lot of these ladies alleged that if they did raise uh, the issue, nothing happened, or in fact they may have been penalized for it, so it was a waste of time. I think that culture change is going to be very important, that there's going to be someone there listening, there's going to be someone there investigating these allegations, and hopefully now that, that uh, these issues have come to the fore, uh, you know, attitudes are going to change. Those that would otherwise engage in inappropriate behavior thinking that they can get away with it, that there's really no harm that's going to be inflicted, will know better. So I see this as a massive, massive change in, into the culture there uh, that's hopefully going to be around from now uh, forever. I guess they'll have no choice. They'll have to change, won't they? They'll have to change. Uh, there, are, there are certainly legal repercussions with these things, and, and this day and age, you, you really can't get away with anything like that. You know, back in the day, the old days, there was a perception that you know this is an old boys' club. Uh, that that's, that era is long gone. So both the change within the the attitudes in the organization, as well as a change with respect to the managers, the supervisors, knowing that this is a real issue that you have to deal with if you become aware of a problem. Liar, why did this take so long? You talked about years ago it was the old boys club. Is that is that why it took so long for this to, to, to finally come to the forefront and people finally taking a stand and apologizing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there was this, this attitude almost that this is just the way it is and we have to take it and this is the way it's always been and who's going to, you know, who's going to believe me? We often hear that, uh, you know, especially with, with women that have may, may have been abused and mistreated. Uh, am I going to be believed? Um, is it, is it going to turn against me? Uh, I mean, look what happened with the Gameshi trial, not, you know, mm. to raise that. And then oftentimes an accusatory finger uh, was pointed at the complainant. So there's that concern, uh, especially taking on an organization like the RCMP. Uh, I, I think a lot of individuals were intimidated for, for obvious reasons. And but it's one of those things where the dam broke as soon as someone was brave enough to go out there and say, "Here's what happened to me." That there was there was a, a feeling there that there's strength in numbers, and a lot of people joined her. But I am not surprised that it took this long, and I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, women out there that may have endured it that are still not comfortable coming to the forefront with it uh, for for those reasons that I mentioned. Mm. Uh, how do you think other police services will react to this? Well, I think that there's a lesson there for police services, but it's beyond just police services. Mm-hmm. It's really for any organization, whether it's in the public sector or the private sector, that these are real issues. These are issues that uh, have to be dealt with, and you, you can't have your organization uh, put these issues or hide these issues or sweep them under the rug because it's going to blow up. And, and think about it from an organizational standpoint. Even aside from lawsuits, let's put, forget about lawsuits for a second. If you have someone that's mistreated, and as a result of that, now they're going off on a, on a medical leave, on a disability, as happened to many of these women, well, that's also going to hurt your business. So there's even business reasons. It uh, doesn't matter what business or what industry you're in, uh, that, that business reasons why you want to take care of these. You don't want your employees going off on medical leaves for years and months at a time. So I think that uh, once you know that these are real issues, that uh, the old days of, uh, you know, boys will be boys are gone, you have to deal with these issues, you have to investigate, take measures, have policies, eradicate any sort of uh, misbehavior when it comes to uh, discrimination. Uh, I think that makes for a better workplace for employers and employees. Liar, do you think this will uh, stimulate more uh, more cases? Do you think more cases will come forward as a result of this? 
I, I think that you, you may well see more more women. I say women just because you know there's involved women in this case that are feeling more comfortable and empowered now to raise issues that have that they've gone through. So it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, if as a result of this, especially with such a public settlement and such a public apology, that we may see other claims, uh, whether involving RCMP, other police forces, or other organizations altogether. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You talked about other organizations, uh, not just obviously uh, in policing. The fact that this is a police service and the biggest one in Canada, do you think that that has a little bit more impact, even if you're talking about uh, traditional old conglomerate industries or, or companies? I, I absolutely do. I, I, first of all, the fact that it, it, it's so it's so public and, and we all know it. And you know, if it can happen there, then it it, it can happen anywhere, really. So I, I think that uh, you know the fact that it, it it's the RCMP, it's the biggest organization, a uh, policing organization, uh, and, and now it's all so public. Everyone knows about it. It, it sets an example. Uh, you know, so they can deal with it, and and you know they have so many employees, so it's. it's more difficult to monitor and, and, and you know, take measures when you're talking to so many people than other organizations can certainly do it as well. So it's, it's setting a good example, hopefully, now that they've resolved it, they've acknowledged it, uh, and uh, they've also appeared to have taken real concrete measures to, to avoid these things from happening again. Lior Sampiru has been with us, employment lawyer, and, of course, uh, Sampiru Tamarkin, LLP. Lior, as always, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. If you need to evacuate and you haven't, evacuate. The storm will kill you. It might not be the best accommodations, but you don't want to go through 100 to 150 uh, mile an hour winds, storm surge, rip currents, and all these things. This is about saving your life. That is Florida Governor Rick Scott. Uh, Once again, warning. People in Florida to leave, to get out. And, of course, that uh, that warning extends right up through the Carolinas and Georgia and uh, right up the eastern seaboard uh, of the United States. And it is uh, just continuing. Uh, we have uh, a friend of our family who, uh, Canadians originally from Ottawa, and then uh, went down to South Carolina and have been living in South Carolina for about the last year or so. And uh, it was interesting. My daughter and uh, their daughter still quite talk quite frequently. And it was interesting when the kids were having uh, snow days, they were having hurricane days. And just like kids here would get uh, days off school for snow days, kids down there get days off for hurricane watches. So whenever it looks like it's going to get too bad, they get the day off. Uh, sign of the times, uh, living in the north versus living in the south. Uh, what uh, She has sent me some uh, information up, which uh, friends of hers for, that are still down there have sent. Uh, they say that the storm surge could be six to eight feet. Uh, winds could gust to over 100 miles an hour uh, and then be st- uh, steady for like about 60 miles, at about 60 miles an hour for an 18 to 24 hour period. Uh, you might have seen this on the news as well, that uh, they had actually reversed some lanes coming in and out of, uh, out of Charleston, uh, South Carolina, in order to move people out. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Canadian living in South Carolina, Sarah Galt is with us now. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? Good, how about you? I'm doing very well. Did you finally make it to your parents' house? 
I did thank you. It was quite a drive, though. <laughs> All right. So many people in the Carolinas probably didn't do the trip that you did in order to get to uh, higher ground. They probably didn't leave the country. But uh, for us, t- tell us exactly how this all started for you, when it started for you, and in the process. Um, well, earlier in the week, someone had mentioned to me about them starting to sort of get gas and get stuff for their house. And I was like, oh, isn't that a little bit premature? And um, and then I Tuesday, I was sort of, I decided to go and collect my propane and my gas and stuff like that, just to prepare to actually weather out the storm. And then that afternoon, the governor of South Carolina closed down all the schools for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and asked people to evacuate if they could. So at that point, I just decided that I would... <laughs> head out as fast as I could. I talked to a um, chief of the uh, fire department, and he said, get out. Do not wait until the very end. And so we just left right away. We left within an hour and headed down the road. So yeah, you, what, what time did you leave Charleston area? 6.30. 6.30 Tuesday night. Yeah. And what goes through your mind when someone says, get out now? Uh, it was... I felt like I better get it quick, especially with him having the knowledge that he has and has been through this before. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this guy. So 6.30 on Tuesday, you decide to pack up the family and get out of Dodge. What's that journey like? What's that experience like? Uh, It was pretty, you feel this anxiousness, like we got to get out of here. Um, The road even coming back to my home after dropping off one of my kids for a school after school activity what normally was a 14 minute drive took me almost an hour so i just you start feeling like wow everybody's getting out of here we better get out quick too uh and you figure you got out tuesday imagine what it must be like if you had waited 24 hours absolutely yeah so what what about getting uh, gas or groceries or anything like that? What, what you obviously Tuesday night still relatively early. What was it like then? It was crazy. I went in as I said. I thought we would weather out the storm. So Tuesday morning, I myself went to Walmart to pick up some stuff, to get some canned goods, water, paper plates, etc. And I've never seen the store like that. I mean, just everybody was just pulling stuff off the shelves. And at that point there was no water left in the Walmart on Tuesday. Hmm. And so it was, people were definitely preparing early in advance. And what was the weather like then? Did it seem fine? Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, You wouldn't, I think that's the problem. Like even now I'm talking to people, like you would never know right now that, uh, that that's coming. So uh, you have talked to people in the, that are still down there in the Carolinas? Absolutely, yep. And what did they have to say about uh, conditions down there now? It said it's very quiet. It's the calm before the storm. Yeah. So, but again, no weather at this point. No. So the thing what I've heard is that it's predicting to come in late Friday night mm-hmm. uh, into the Charleston area. And as far as getting out, what was the traffic like? Oh, it was crazy. Like, what... Again, like trips that would take you a very, very short period of time, just bumper to bumper, um, had to actually get off a different, a different um, exit. Um, there was no gas. We would actually be dri- driving, and you could see people lined up for 
I don't know how long, probably would take you about an hour to get to the pump. Hmm. And then gas stations, and all of a sudden you'd see a gas station, and it was empty, and you'd be like, oh, that's fantastic, we'll get gas. And then you realize, oh, it's empty because there's no gas. Right. So how far did you have to drive out of Charleston before life seemed to get back to normal? I would say about three hours. Which would have put you where? At North Charleston. Right. So, uh, oh, sorry, North, I apologize, North Carolina. North Carolina, right. And you were saying that as you were making the drive, you left, uh, you were telling us last night, you left uh, Tuesday around 6.30, you drove till about 1 in the morning and then ran into some of the people that you were leaving with. Absolutely, yeah. There was all the, at the hotel that we decided to stay at, there was all the license plates and stickers from, like, basically little towns where we are, little subdivisions. Hmm. Yeah. And what about getting accommodations? How tough was that while you were in the midst of your journey? Yeah, so the first place we stopped at, we couldn't get in. And then so we kept on going another hour and a half and we were able to finally get a, a hotel. So what about uh, your home and everything that's back there? How do you leave it? What do you do? Uh, we have storm shutters. So we've closed those all up, uh, turned water, gas off. All we could really do, took important documentation with us, insurance staff, but that's it. Uh, obviously, you're a Canadian living down there. You're relatively new to all of this. Uh, how do people react? There were some media reports that people really weren't taking it too seriously because they couldn't remember the last one. Obviously, you guys took heed from from the experience down there, the, the people that you talked to. Uh, what's it like for someone who's new and never experienced this sort of thing? What did the locals tell you? Yeah, and I think that's the hard part is, you know, you have people, we have friends that are staying, and you're kind of like, okay, do we stay? They're staying, maybe we should. And then you hear from people who have actually been through the storms, and they're like, get out. And I think that's where I finally went, you know what? The people who have weathered this before, they're leaving, I'm going to go with them. Wow. Wow, unbelievable. So when do you, when do you hope to return? Well, right now the schools are closed this week, and we'll just wait to hear. Uh, whenever the schools reopen, we'll head back. But I guess you really don't know till you find out what condition your neighborhood is in once all this is over. Absolutely. And I, I, from my understanding, um, the last one that sort of flashed in Charleston, it was, we- it was weeks. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and and what do the people say that are staying there? Why would they stay? Well, I guess one of two things is the last two hurricanes that we've sort of been told about kept getting downgraded. So, you know, it started at a, a three, yeah. and then it's a two, a one, and then it, it turns into a tropical storm. So right. I think people have come to the point where they think, well, this is just going to finally, by the time it hits, it's just going to be a tropical storm. But this is not like the last yeah, yeah, they say this one's going to be a big one. All right, Sarah, well, thanks very much for sharing the story with us. Uh, stay safe, and hopefully you guys can all get back home soon. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. All right, you too, Sarah. Sarah Gold is with us. She is a Canadian living in South Carolina, uh, packed up the family uh, Tuesday night and came back here in order to uh, avoid the storm. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.